So I did such a bad job last week, Matt told me I had to read it again. <laughs> I'll be reading from the Net Bible this time. <clears throat> that was the problem, probably. <laughs> this is what Moses said to all of Israel in the Transjordanian wilderness, the arid rift valley opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dezahab. Now it is ordinarily an 11-day journey from Horeb and Kadesh Barnea by way of Mount Seir. However, it was not until the first day of the of the 40th year that Moses addressed the Israelites just as the Lord had instructed him to do. This took place after the defeat of King Sihon of the Amorites, whose capital was in and King Og of Bashan, whose capital was in Ashtaroth, specifically in Edrai. So it was in the Transjordan, in Moab, that Moses began to deliver these words. The Lord our God... Head out journey, enter the Amorite hill country and all its neighboring areas, including the rift valley, hill foothills, the Negev, and the coastal plain. All of Canaan and Lebanon, as far as the great river, that is, the Euphrates. Look, I have already given the land to you. Go occupy the territory that I, the Lord, promised to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. The Lord. Thank you for that reading, Hampton, again. Um, uh, Kelly is willing to take the kids outside for a children's church lesson. Sit back down, David. <laughs> um. It's just free rain today. I'm waiting for the day when I ask somebody to read a passage like that, and they come up and they just hit play on their phone and hold the microphone to it for all those weird words. But thank you for that reading, Hampton. And the reason why people, if you're keeping track, why are the readings the same this week as they were last week is because I had told myself I'm not going to do a full recap of the first five books, first four books of the Torah. We're just going to get into the book of Deuteronomy. And it turns out I could not resist. We did do a full recap of the first four books of, of the Torah, and we did not have time to get into the book of Deuteronomy. And so we ran out of time. Um, but not just that, it, was a, it felt full. It felt good to sort of reassess where we had been in the Torah. And I think there's this moment in the start of this book where we stand at the edge of that. We stand at the edge of that place with them on the plains of Moab. And we answer the question, how did we get here? How did we get to the plains of the edge of Moab? Now one of the things that the way this sermon is sort of organized um, is we're going to talk first about one big picture thing that prepares us for the fall. Next, we're going to talk about the context in which we can read the book of Deuteronomy. After that, we'll talk about the structure of the book of Deuteronomy. And then, Lord willing, 
we'll talk about what Hampton read for us today. If not, next week, Hampton. Um, <laughs> see you then and there. I'm hopeful if we'll get there. But one of the things that I, I sort of view as making sort of this whole picture for us as a church is we did the Life Together series by Diedrich Bonhoeffer in the post-Easter season. And I thought that equipped us well to think about what does it mean to be a church together. And then we went into this, this book of Deuteronomy, and, and Deuteronomy um, should throw us to this, this phrase in Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew where it says, Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to them, and he began to teach them. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll go through in the fall. And so there's this mirror to like what Moses is doing to what Jesus is doing. Now it's not going to do it anymore. I was wondering why I was doing that. Um, there's this mirror between what Jesus is doing, or Moses is doing, to what Jesus is doing. That Jesus becomes this fulfilled Moses when he teaches the disciples. And so as Moses goes up on the mountain and expounds the law to the people, so Jesus goes up and tells the law of the kingdom to the people. Now, one of the things that I wanted to start with today, this was a quote I heard this week that's on the back of the bulletin um, from Stanley Harawas. And I think one of the things that reading the Sermon on the Mount this way and reading it through the lens of Book Deuteronomy teaches us from making it ethical advice for good living. But it's about the formation of a people. So if what Moses is doing in the book of Deuteronomy, is preparing these people to go into the land that God has prepared to them to be a people in the world and to be blessed by him so that he can be a blessing for the nations. So, too, that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's constituting them as a people in the world. There's a temptation to take the Sermon on the Mount and say it's just ethics. But when in fact, like the book of Deuteronomy it is, it's a constitution for a new people. And so this is the quote, it's a new world because no longer does the threat of death force us into desperate measures to ensure our safety or significance. A people freed from the threat of death must form a polity, but they can afford to face the truth of their existence without fear or defensiveness. They can even take the risk of having a story of a crucified savior as their essential reality. He is a strange Lord, appears powerless, but his powerlessness turns out to be the truth against the violence of falsehood. That what is being suggested here is that there is a new world for us as we sit at the edges of, of the book of Deuteronomy and as we sit at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in which we are freed in the book of Deuteronomy from a world of slavery and being bound uh, in Egypt. And in the New Testament, as a people of the cross and resurrection, we are freed from death and brought into new life. And what God is doing is constituting a people, not right-acting individuals in the world with a promise that an ethic like that will work, but constituting a people who are freed from the fear of death and don't have to seek their own security in the world because their God has revealed a different way. So that's something to keep in mind as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, but also as we look towards the Sermon on the Mount, that God is constituting people. 
It's why here, often at the church, I use we a lot. I wish I used it more than I did. We are the people called together. We are the people God is making in the world. There's a temptation to say, you know, I think, or I believe, or this might be good to try, <laughs> but, but perhaps what God is trying to do through the church is make a we um, instead of a me or an I. But this brings us to the edge of the book of Deuteronomy. And one of the things I said I want to talk about is the context in which the book of Deuteronomy can be read. Um, this is a... Uh, I didn't have a graphic in between, so this came a little early. But um, Deuteronomy is this book that sort of repeats much of what's already been said in the Torah. There's, it's, it's weird that they would have a book like this sort of at the edge. And so most scholars posit that that the book of Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' words perhaps added later to the beginning of the Bible that's perhaps built in that way. And I, being not a biblical scholar, no, nor knowing Akkadian or any other language, and not even Hebrew well enough, I don't want to say that it was written for this time or this place or this thing, but I think that there's a way in which looking at the, the three or four places in which the book suggests itself being from, will teach us something about a way to read it. And so the first way that we can read it, as if it is, is as if it were a commencement speech. Moses has brought these people out of slavery in Egypt. They've gone through this period of death. And now here at the edge of this new promise, he gets up and exhorts them to do something with their lives. To make great to go and be. And this is the context of most commencement speeches, as they say, you've been through trials, you've been through hardship, none like the 40 years that Israelites <laughs> spent in the wilderness, but nonetheless, you've had this time here, and so what Moses gets up is he prepares these people, reminds them of what they've learned and known over the years, and calls them forth into the promised land. And so we can read this book as we are moving forward with these people from the plains of Moab into the promised land, which is, uh, uh, I, if I didn't say this last week, I think I did, is that for Christians, if you're wondering, like, promised land, land, what, what, what thing do we have with land, um, it's helpful to think of the kingdom of heaven um, as the land in which we will inherit. And, and the kingdom of heaven is a massive theme in the book of Matthew um, and, and in the other books of uh, the other two Gospels after that, Mark and Luke, uh, less so. But the kingdom of heaven is the land in which we shall inherit. And so this is similar to a way of also reading the Sermon on the Mount, is that this is sort of the commencement speech. And I think there's good for us because in, in memory, and this is one of the biggest parts of the book of Deuteronomy that I think we'll have to, to listen to deeply, is the role that memory plays of hearing and remembering. You saw this. You heard this. You've been told these stories. That memory is making these people. And so Moses in the first chapters expounds the memory of these people. And he talks to them as if this is you. You have seen this. Now, we know all except for two of these people died in the wilderness in the 40 years, three, I guess, since Moses is still alive, um, that when he says, you've seen this, you've heard, you've known these mighty acts, he's talking about collective communal identity. We don't live that way anymore. If I say to Kelly, you know, you remember when um, 
even with my own life, um, and our memories differ on things. Uh, do you remember when we went to that movie when we were dating? This is good she's outside, and it turns out it wasn't me and her who went to that movie. Um, uh, um, it's just a week ago, too. Weird. No. Um, uh, is that the, the memory isn't shared in that way today. And so if I were to say, you know, do you remember when I graduated from eighth grade? She was nowhere near around me at that time. We don't share collective memory. There's some sense in, in America that we maybe do this with big speeches, but we don't pretend like we were there, like we saw it. Um, baseball fans perhaps are the most guilty of saying, I think I was there for that. Um, uh, I was, yeah, this is way aside. I shouldn't say, I, I started, I was, the Bears won the Super Bowl in 1985, and I was born in 1982, and in my mind, I think I remember them winning the Super Bowl, but that's because the Chicago franchise has not been able to move on at all since then. Um, so much so that today on the news, they're probably like, Happy Father's Day, Bears highlights from 1985, um, which would make many men happy there. Um, we don't have communal memory. The first context we could read this in is, is that of a commencement speech, of these people's graduation of moving forth into this land and being reminded of what God has done and what they are called to do in the land. The second context is, which is not going to happen this year for many kids, is getting dropped off for college. I love the stock photography I found for this one. Um, the eye roll, dorm room on the box as if there was something else in the car um, that you'd be like, oh yeah, that's for the other room. You only get one room when you come to college. You don't label the boxes. But this is, apparently I got really offended by this. Um, <laughs> like, oh, this is for the hallway. Um, <laughs> this is them compiling the book of Deuteronomy with Moses' words, while well, they live in the land as a warning for what they should do. And so Moses, in this context, plays the parent who is dropping their kid off at college, saying that these are the two paths before you. You can go this way, you can live your life this way, you can be drawn into these paths, and things will not turn out for you that way. Curses in the language of Deuteronomy. You can also live your life this way. You can honor God, you cannot have idols, you can do this. And what comes from this is you choose life and you have blessings. And so what this works is, is sort of the guardrails of society to sort of keep the people sort of reminded of where they've come from and to teach them to keep aiming towards the right way. And so for me, as it was for many of us when we went out from home, there was that voice in the back of our head that was often our parents saying, you can choose that. Um, depending on your parent, it may have been, you can't choose that, get home. But you can choose that, but here are the consequences we've trained you to know from living your life in that way. And then, so this place is the book of Deuteronomy in the context of sort of Moses expounding to them in their communal memory the idea of what it would mean to go astray and what it would mean to be blessed into life. And this is a message that works in varying degrees. Things are going well. Let's pull out the book of Deuteronomy and be reminded of how to keep them well. Things are going not so well. How do I get back on the path? How do I find this place again? The third context for the book of Deuteronomy, which it's like, uh, this is an exaggerated scene uh, from the other two we just went through, um, quite a bit different, is, is exile and ca captivity. 
you're familiar with the book of Kings, um, there's, this, there's this moment in the book of Kings where they pull out the, the law, and Josiah the, enacts these reforms for the people, sort of perhaps returning to the land, but pa- perhaps living in exile, as sort of they've burned it all down. And one of the things the book of Deuteronomy could be answering read from this context is what did we do wrong? How did we end up in captivity? How did we ignore what God has done for us? Let us bring back this devotional practice of our history, of our memory, and so we can remember that God has been faithful, but it is our unfaithfulness that has brought this upon us. And this is a unique thing for the Jews, um, for Israel, is that every time something bad happens to them, they actually do the introspection to see what they did wrong. How did they make the future they have? This is a psychologist I like says, if you're fighting with your spouse, the first thing that both of you should do is ask yourself the question, what did I do wrong to end up in this situation? What did I add to this? Well, it's 5% my fault, but the other 95% was... um, But at least you can acknowledge that you've done something to make that your future and your place. And so a book of Deuteronomy tells the people that this is how we've turned astray. How did we end up in this pit? Because we failed. There's advice about having a good king in the book of Deuteronomy, which is weird because God has this uh, ambiguous relationship to giving the people a king a little bit later. But it's... uh, the king shouldn't have lots of wives. If you're somebody reading this in exile, knowing the history of your kings, having tons and tons of concubines and wives, you begin to say, this is where we went astray. We did not listen to what God had instructed to us. And so Deuteronomy serves as a reminder in the ways in which we have fallen, that this is why we've ended up in exile and captivity And it can perhaps bring us to the place of reentry, of being able to go back into the land. So we mentally go to the plains of Moab. Um, We go to that spot, um, but it's not the plains of Moab. It's moving back from a church that has been wrong about something else. It's moving back from a people who have been wrong about the nature of kings, about how to set up an empire. And so you mentally prepare yourself to hear the commencement speech again, but it's from the place of ruin and destruction. The next way of reading the book of Deuteronomy, which says a little bit about how it's structured, is this this notion of treaty and pact. Is what the book of Deuteronomy does is it mirrors the type of treaty you would have signed in the ancient Near East with a larger power. So that last context we talked about has a little bit to do with the uh, Jewish people, the Israelites, being absorbed by Assyria um, and they wanting to make a treaty with them. And what happens is, is, is the book of Deuteronomy is almost saying you've made a treaty with something bigger and more powerful than that. So chapters 1 through 3 talk about the relationship between the two parties in the past. This is where Moses redescribes what has happened to them. Uh, Chapters 4 through 11, uh, this is the basic responsibility of being connected to this bigger power, this one whom you're making a treaty with. 
The next is the big powers details expectations chapter 12 through 26. 27 is about the formalization of the re uh, relationship. 28 through 30 is the blessings of cooperation and the opposite. There are blessings and there are curses. And 31 through 34 are Moses' final words. And this is taken from the world as it is. But what it holds out for the people is a radical sort of alternative to an agreement with empire. And, and I want to sit on that for a second, a radical alternative to an agreement with empire, because we live in an empire called America, um, and the church often wants to make agreements with that empire instead of with God. But I think this is, I was talking to Kelly about this, we more often today live in an, an empire that's more... Uh, technocracy, is that, is that the word? Um, technology, democracy, that's sort of like our new powers aren't so much countries as they are Google, Facebook, um, these sort of technology-type things that surround us in surveillance. Um, I was reading the story of a, a Polish dissident who was told about Alexa, which is something we invite into our homes to live with us, and she was like, they had to tap my apartment when... I was a dissident in Poland. You're telling me Americans just open the door and invite this thing in and think it's great because it can put on Baby Shark for your kid instead of you having to do the work of doing it yourself? That's what we used it for. Alexa no longer lives with us. Rosie calls it her sister, which tells you more about what it's like to live in technocracy. Um, um, but we sort of live in slaves to this sort of self-created nature. Like, we can make our own selves. We can be what we want online. We can find our own fulfillment. We can keep shopping and buying through Amazon. We can sort of uh, put adornments on ourselves that show our individuality, that we um, have this temptation to make a treaty with the nation that is America, I think, in an earlier age, and we have a temptation to make a treaty with this capitalistic sort of... Um, technology sort of driven thing that will damage our souls and our lives in the process. Um, and Deuteronomy serves as a helpful say to say, we have a treaty with something larger than that. This thing can come into your house and it promises not to listen to you too much, just a little. Um, and we say perhaps that we are called to something bigger and better. But this way of reading Deuteronomy um, as a treaty I, I think covenant helps too. And there's two ways in which the covenant thing shows up. Does 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 anybody know what a fetter is? Oh, thank goodness, like a fetter. You know what a fetter is? Some of you do. I didn't know. I always thought it was like a gentle sort of like, your goodness like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. I always thought it was like, <laughs> like a feather. Um, uh, they sound similar. Um, Apparently, a fetter is a chain or manacle used to restrain a prisoner, typically placed around the ankles. So when we sing that, this is the image we have in mind. O to grace, how hated debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. It really changes the context of the song. I mean, I had looked up Ebenezer because uh, here I raised my Ebenezer. I was like, is that the Dickens character? Um, no, it's not. Um, Yes, uh, a fetter was one I was, I was certainly thrown off about. But I think thinking of Deuteronomy as this way in which we covenant with this God is to say as we covenant as a people who were driven out of slavery to this God, 
The fetter is not the same way it used to be. It's let your goodness, let your grace now, like a fetter, by my wandering heart to thee. It's not the same as saying, let your strength or manipulation or your power or the fact that we have no choice bind my wandering heart to thee. But it's grace that binds us. It's more than just a treaty. It's a covenant. This phrase from later in chapter 1 brings that out too. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. Then you saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. This way of being with God, I think it helps to see the book of Deuteronomy as a sort of treaty way, but we also live in a way that like a father carries a son. Or we have a new fetter, but it is goodness that binds our winding heart to thee. So the text for today is barely getting there in time. Hampton, you're off for next week tells us that this is the 40th year and 11th month that they've been wandering in the wilderness. And Moses gets up to expound the law to the people. The phrase uh, in Hebrew, it only appears three times, is, is to make clear. He's going to make clear the law to them. He's going to expound upon it. This, think again about the Sermon on the Mount, too. Jesus picks up, uh, you have heard it said, quoting often from the book of Deuteronomy, but I say to you, he expounds the law to the people as well. And so Moses gets up and it says he speaks three times. I didn't point this out in the last graphic, but there, there are three sort of speeches that make up the book of Deuteronomy. And it says right in the intro that Moses spoke, Moses spoke, and Moses expounds the law to the people. And it mentions these two locations, Horeb, which is Sinai, and Kadesh Berea, which is where the betrayal happened when they were supposed to go into the land. It almost holds out these two locations for their memory as the place in which there was a, uh, they saw God descend upon the mountain and married God, that they covenanted together there. And it holds out the other place in which they denied that covenant and ended up spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. These two poles that Moses, or the author of Deuteronomy, puts at the beginning tells us about how their identity is formed through communal memory again. That it's these two places that they're drawn between at the moment. Are they going to believe God and go forward? Are they going to be changed by this? And this is the place in which they begin to move forward from. The book of Deuteronomy asks them to get up from this place and to go to the land which God had made. And that God, as, as promise maker, says that God can turn life in this world when it seems not like much. That God can make life in these places. That God can restore. And so they're told to go to the promised land. But the last thing I want to point out, which I was really wanting to get to last Sunday, which I didn't, is, is that they are called to turn their face. In most of our Bibles, uh, Hampton, what did the net have? Because you guys, you certainly butchered it, um, as I know very little about Hebrew. Seven. 
Yeah, so a lot of the translations have this, like, get a, um, head out, um, uh, start moving, which is a powerful message in and of itself. Like, start moving, head out to the place in which you were supposed to be going all along. You've dragged yourself into, into a mess, and now it is time, after 40 years, to head out to that place. But the Hebrew is, is a little bit more clear. It's, a, it's about turning your face. It's face about is the way one Jewish translation I have of the text says. It's about this, is this turning of the face. And it's, it has a lot to do in other contexts with changing your beliefs, moving in a different way. And so the call for us as we begin the book of Deuteronomy is to turn our face, is to face about and to get up with God with us and start moving to the kingdom which he has prepared for us as a people called and blessed by God. So let us arise. Let us pray together. God, in your wisdom, you called together a people in the world, called Israel and now the church. You have made a people where there was no people before. Allow us to hear through this study of the book of Deuteronomy both echoes of the Sermon on the Mount and what you've done in your son Jesus Christ, but also the ways in which it speaks to us in our own disrepair, perhaps in exiles we've made of our own. Perhaps as we're dropped off in a new phase of our life, as the guardrails to keep us on the track to goodness and life. Or as the commencement speech that Moses gives to us to instruct us in this new way of being in a new land. Either way, God, may we hear. May we turn and get up. May in its grace.